Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us for the final lesson in our series, God's at War, with a small g. Lead Pastor David Fossold has helped us clear up one part of the Ten Commandments, and that's been about idolatry. Etched in our minds is the fact that idolatry really doesn't have to do with little statues all over our living room. Listen as Pastor Dave gives us some principles for dealing with the idols of success, achievement, and money. We're challenged to look at what might be God's response to our idolatry as we're reminded that idolatry always eventually leads to immorality. American Idol was the number one show our family would always watch together. We love ourselves some American Idol. Of course, you know, uh, there's some really good singers that have come from that. You know, even on the radio today, even some Christian artists. So uh, there's some singing that was really good. I love the banter back and forth between the judges, especially the original judges. But by far, what I enjoyed the absolute most was the train wreck auditions like the one you just watched. I know I shouldn't get fun and joy out of that, but I, wa- I love to watch people who think they could sing, uh, you know, doing this audition in front of millions of people. I think it was hilarious. William Hung, by the way, was probably one of the most famous ones to do it. Right out of Berkeley, okay? Did you know, he, he was so bad, but also so lovable. Do you know that he cut three albums? Did you know? He became so popular. You could get it on iTunes right now, right? American Idol, one of our favorite family shows. However... Uh, when it comes to personal idols, our Heavenly Father, that's, that's a show he doesn't really like that much. Amen. In fact, I would say it's probably his least favorite show when it, when it comes to our personal lives. We are wrapping up our three-part series uh, called God's at War. And, and it's based upon uh, commandment number one and commandment number two. God gives these commandments to us and he says, you will have no other gods other than me. And you don't have any idols. Now, so many of us, you know, we, we kind of, we grow up with this idea that idolatry is, is having a little statue that, that we put in our living room. And of course, we Western Americans, we, we don't do that. I mean, other parts of the world, they might do that, but we don't do that. So commandment number two, not that big of a deal. But we, we've tried to understand holistically what that means and understand that idolatry really doesn't have to do with little statues that you put in your living room. This was our operating definition for idolatry. Let's put it on the screen. Idolatry is anytime we value something more than we value God. Anytime we love or sacrifice something more than we do God. Anytime we pursue or give ourselves to something or someone more than God, that is by very definition, idolatry. One of the, one of the authors that kind of, as I read this guy, made me want to teach on this was a pastor, uh, an author by the name of Kyle Eidelman, and here's what he said. We talked about this week number one. Idolatry is the number one issue in the Bible. Just think about that. Let that sink in a moment. From this guy's perspective, idolatry is the number one issue in the Bible. Idolatry isn't just one of many sins. Rather, it's the one great sin that all others come from. You know, when you start thinking about it and breaking it down, okay, um, behind every single sin, there's an idol. There's something we value, love, pursue, and care about more than God that causes us to do something outside of God's will. Now, uh, one of the theme verses comes from 2 Kings. And 2 Kings, I think, describes many of us. They, us, 
worship God. Hey, high five. Yeah, we love Jesus. We worship God. But we also have the ability to serve our own gods and our own idols. We, we come here, we sing worship songs about God and about Jesus. We walk out that door and, and suddenly something else becomes more valuable to us in our life. Um, if you've ever been to a ball game, you know what these suckers look like. It's just kind of a foam number one finger. This is the one that is in my office. It's a Chicago Cubs one. Uh, but, you know, people that you know, a lot of times it's kids that have this, you know, dad gets them a little foam finger. But it's interesting when, when someone's wearing a little foam finger, it's not me saying, hey, the Chicago Cubs are number one, because honestly, that's not true. In 100 years, we've only been number one once. OK, <laughs> it's not about my team. It's about me as a fan. It, it, it literally says it on this side, it says number one fan and then Chicago Cubs question. In about 30, 40 minutes, we're going to let you go and you're going to get head back into your whatever you're doing this afternoon, go out to dinner or lunch, I should say. Uh, what what foam finger are you going to put on when you walk out those doors? What's number one to you? Now, I know what we're supposed to say because we're in church, but but when other people look at you, when they observe what you do with your time, what they observe, how, how you're impacted emotionally, what they do, what you see, what you do with your finances, what what what's your foam finger number one? That's what we've been talking about, right? And uh, I, I've tried. I, I, you know, this is not me wanting to hammer on you and make you feel bad because I got issues and idols that, that I, I have tendencies to. So we've been trying to, throughout this series, help everyone understand what might be an idol for you. So, so kind of real quickly, here's our summary. We've kind of organized it in terms of temples. And at the temple of pleasure, seeking fun, we talked about three gods. This was week number one. The God of entertainment. Some of us for the last four months have put God on a shelf because we love football, right? And as long as our, our, our fantasy football team is going and as long as our team is going, we put God on a shelf because we value, we care about, we're interested in that form of entertainment more than God. For some of us, it's movies. For some of us, it's social media. That was the God of entertainment. Then you've got the God of sexual fulfillment, right? Sex is given to us by God to be enjoyed in the context of marriage, but some of us we, we want we want to get me some so much that we're so interested in sexual fulfillment. We're, we're willing to set aside what God says about it because that's an idol to us. It's important, more important than God. We talked about, well, for some of us, when we say comfort food, we really mean it. We go to food to get our comfort, not necessarily God. Uh, some of us, when it comes to alcohol, the, why we're drinking and the amount that we're drinking uh, reveals it's an idol to us. Right. And so so this was the temple of pleasure. Last week, we talked about the temple of love. Now, the temple of love really focuses on people. OK, I value and love myself more than God. OK, I love and value my family more than God. I love and I value this idea of romance and having a boyfriend and having a girlfriend and getting engaged. That whole thing, I pursue that more than I pursue my relationship with God. So this, this temple, you could almost put any person in there. So it could be an athlete. Okay, that could be your idol. It could be a rock star. Uh, it could be a president. You, you know, maybe your idol was the last president. Maybe your idol is the current president. Maybe your idol is the you know, wait, looking forward to the next president. That's all I'm going to say about politics because I don't want a riot to break out. So let's just move on real quick. Okay. Uh, but, you know, it could be any, it could be a pastor. You know, how, how does that work? You want to know how it works? Here's how it works. Uh, you choose and decide whether or not you're going to go to church based upon whether or not the pastor's speaking or who's teaching. Uh, why do you think we don't tell you when the pastor's not going to be here? 
because some of you struggle with it. We make the mistake, and you know what? I, it's a compliment that I, I'm glad that some of you like my teaching. It's no problem having preferences. But you've got to be very careful to value a person and their presence at church more than you value God's presence at, at church. I, I'm pretty certain. I'm going to be gone the next two Sundays. I'm fairly certain God's going to show up the next two Sundays. You see what I'm saying, right? And for those of you who choose not to because, oh, Pastor Dave's not going to be there, if I ever start a cult, I will call you and you can join me, okay? Okay, I'm messing with you a little bit, but I think I made my point. Let's look at the next temple. The temple of power is what we're going to talk about today. I'm just trying to organize it for you as I've done every week. The next 10 minutes, I just need you to be honest with yourself and try and identify, is this potentially an issue for me? Is it potentially an idol for me? Let's talk about the first one. The God of success is a popular, popular God or idol for us. Uh, many of us want to pursue it. It's the idol of personal advancement, personal advancement. Now, the way that you keep score, uh, if you worship the God of success and the, and the idol of success is by comparing yourself to other people. You know, you, you, you consider yourself successful based upon uh, is w- what is my car like compared to what is their car like? What is my home like compared to their home? What is my square footage compared to their square footage? Right? What is my job compared to their job? What is the size of my paycheck compared to the size of their paycheck? Where do I go on vacation versus where do they go on vacation? And we have a way of slotting people in into how successful or not they are based upon some of the things I just mentioned. And for some of us now, there is such a thing as healthy ambition. Nothing wrong with that. The problem is when it slithers and slides in to becoming an idol for you. You live for it, right? Uh, I can't, I don't have time to, to get into the story, but uh, you can look it up. Luke 18, it's in your study guide. Uh, there's a story that Jesus teaches about a guy who struggled with and worshiped the idol of success. I'm just going to give you the title because it very quickly and succinctly almost identifies for us how the world defines success. He was the rich, young ruler. I mean, it, does, it doesn't get any more, more, more pertinent than how our world tends to determine whether you or I am successful. How rich are you? How much do you have, right? Uh, young, right? Or at least you better look young. If I have to, you have to look young or look old, we know what we want, right? He got to look good. And finally, he was the ruler. He was the boss, right? And so we have these way of slotting people in, in terms of determining whether or not they're successful or not. What's interesting is how success influences and impacts us. Did you know that Jesus at one point in time says, you know, it's harder for successful people to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's less likely. It's less likely that they do that. Less likely that rich people enter the kingdom than not so rich people. Why is that? Well, it doesn't have to be theologians. Sociologists and psychologists will tell you that the more successful you are in the world's eyes, the more self-sufficient you become. I got this. I don't need you. I got this. I'm successful, right? Um, and I, I, all kinds of stories I could share with you. I'm just going to share with you one quote from a very successful TV personality. Let's put it up there. Uh, Bill, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Mayor or Mar or whatever. He, I think he's on HBO. He's got a show. Very successful. Look what he says. I don't get it. The thought of someone else cleansing me of my sins is ridiculous. I don't need anyone to cleanse me. 
I can cleanse myself. I don't want to be behind him in the line when we get to heaven because there's going to be a little long conversation. But the reality is we become, we have this self-sufficiency about us. Like, I, I, don't, I don't need God. I got this. I'm successful, right? Uh, now, at some point in time, though, there are some very successful individuals that as time goes on, they begin to realize um, that success doesn't fill us the way we hoped or intended it to fill us. I don't know about you, but I am desperately hoping that this afternoon Atlanta wins the Super Bowl, right? I, as a Raider fan, I just can't watch the, the Patriots win another Super Bowl, right? And if you're, if you're a football fan, the guy you love to hate on the Patriots is, is their superstar quarterback. And yet, I'm going to share a, a quote for, uh, from him that is very interesting as it applies to this. Tom Brady uh, said this a couple years ago. Why, I, I, why do I have all these Super Bowl rings and still think there's something great out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it's all about. You've reached your goal, your dream, your life. But me, I think there's got to be more to life than this. I mean, this isn't this. This can't be all it's cracked up to be. See, at some point in time, the God, the idol of success lets you down and you realize that it leaves you hollow. So, so you have to figure out, um, is this something I pursue, something I live for, something I want, success in everyone else's eyes? Do I want that more than I want a healthy, growing relationship with Christ? And depending on how you answer that answers the question whether this is an issue for you. Okay. The next one uh, is the God of, what do we call it? Achievement. The God of achievement, which is, it's a cousin of the first one, but it's different, right? Now, uh, what is the God of achievement? The God uh, of achievement, this is the person that is controlled by and received basically most of their satisfaction um, by how much they get done on their to-do list. Let, let me work through this with you just a little bit. Their happiness is based upon how much did I get done on my to-do list? How much did I achieve? Their fulfillment this week, this month, this year is how much did I get done on my to-do list? Their stress level is based upon how much is still left on my to-do list, right? We have all kinds of ways of rewarding people for getting a lot done, right? Now, there's nothing wrong with working hard and getting things done, but the minute you live for that, the minute it controls who you are as a person, there's a problem, in our society, we'll do things like give people merit badges if they achieve a lot, give them letterman jackets, give them awards of accomplishment, diplomas, degrees that they can hang on their wall. We have all kinds of creative ways to figure out how to acknowledge people that are really good at achieving. In Luke 10, this is a story you can look up on your own, is the story of a woman who struggled with the idol of achievement. You know the story. Uh, Jesus and his disciples and probably a, a, a small group of other people, maybe at least 20, they just kind of drop in on their best friends, Martha and Mary. And, uh, of course, uh, they got to feed them because, you know, mealtime's coming or whatever. And Martha, very quickly, we discover, is someone who, whose, whose self-worth is based upon the quality of the meal she's going to serve Jesus. I mean, it's Jesus. So she, and the Greek gives us an indication, she starts preparing like this major Thanksgiving kind of meal, right? Because she is controlled by, and her self-worth is determined by, achievement. The quality and size of the meal that she's going to present to Jesus. Now, the problem, though, is that her sister, Mary, chooses something else. She decides, I want to just hang out with Jesus. 
right? Let's just get some Papa Murphy's. I don't care about the meal. And, uh, you know, let's just hang out with Jesus. But now Martha, she's working away and she has a way of letting her sister know. And you got to kind of retreat, read between the lines. You know, Martha comes out with a with a, a bowl of chips and some appetizers and some olives because everything is cooking. And she walks into the kitchen. She drops it on the kitchen, uh, on the coffee table, you know. And, and then as she's walking away, she gives she gives her sister the stare. Right. No smile. Mary does nothing. So then then she, you know, she kind of stands in the kitchen where, where Jesus can't see her. But Mary can see her, you know, and she. Right. Finally, she can't hold on anymore. She goes in the living room. She's like, Jesus, would you please say something to Mary? There I am in the kitchen slaving away. There she is sitting on her blessed assurance doing nothing. Help me. And Jesus says, Martha. You struggle with the God, the idol of achievement. Your, your issue is your self-worth and what you're living for and valuing is the meal. Mary has chosen what is best. She's chosen to value me more than a fancy meal. And then Jesus adds, you know what? I, I would have been fine if you just put out some lunch, lunch meats and some sandwiches, some, some bread, and we would have made our own sandwiches. That's what he implies. You have to ask yourself that question. What, what, what am I living for? Am I living for accomplishment, accomplishment, accomplishment? It's different than the first one. The first one, I'm interested in pleasing all of you. This second one, I'm interested in checking things off my list constantly. I live for it, right? Uh, the last one, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because we, we, we know about this, right? Um, we've talked about this, and it's going to come up again. You know why? I just came up, found this out this week. The exact number, 16 out of 38 parables that Jesus teaches have to do with money. 16 out of 38. You know why? Because this is an issue for us. This is an issue that many of us, we tend to struggle with. By the way, I'm leaving literally. I have a plane that I'm getting on at 2.30 in SFO to head to, to, head to Africa. You want to know what African Christians think about American Christians? Do you want to know what they think our biggest problem and issue is? It's in red right now on the screen. Which is weird because we are also the most rich country in the world. But what happens is we tend to, we go from, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm so blessed. And now we start, to, we start to live for it. We start to sacrifice certain things uh, so, so that we get more of it, right? I could have given you a hundred verses. I just gave you three. Matthew 6, you cannot serve both God and money. Ecclesiastes 5, whoever loves money never has enough. Matthew 16, what good is it for someone to be super rich, to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul, right? How do you know if this is an idol for you? Like everything, you ask certain questions. Let me give you a couple questions. When you're applying for a job, is the number one thing you're interested and concerned about is how much you're going to get paid? Because if it is, you might want to think it over. Now, is there any, should you want to pay for your bills? And yeah, of course. But you know what this book says about what you should do with your life? It should be based upon, including your careers, the kind of person and the kind of gifting and the kind of abilities God's given you. Not how can you make the most money? So you might want to think about that. Um, how much do you think about money? How much do you worry about money? How much do you compare yourself to how much someone else is making? Is your self-worth, how valuable you think you are as a person, is it based upon how much you have right now in your checking account or your 401k? Do you tithe? 
You see, all these questions and how you answer them begin to answer the question for you, is this an issue for me? I could read to you all kinds of theologians and all kinds of Bible verses, but I'm going to read to you something else. Mark Twain said this. Some men worship rank. Some worship heroes. Some worship power. Some worship God. But they all worship money. There's a there's some truth to that. Um, Here's the summary of what we've learned. Some of our favorite idols, you have it up on the screen. I'm going to read through them, and I want you to be honest with yourself. This is for our help, every one of us. As we go through it, be honest. Which two of them do you struggle with? Which two do you have a propensity to value, care about more than God? Right? Here we go. Is it sports? Maybe TV or movies? Social media? Your hobby? Your house? Your career? Your money? Is it power? Is it position? Is it sex? Alcohol? Drugs? Food? Family? Maybe your idol is your appearance and or your comfort, your family, your reputation, your career, an athlete, a rock star, your friend, a friend with benefits, a church building, achievement, success, yourself or frankly, anything. I mean, I could ask it different ways. What's your God? Small G. What's your idol? What 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 foam finger do you put on when you head to your car? I don't care how you ask it. The question is, is there anything on that screen that you would be willing to admit, you know what, every once in a while, I'm more interested in that. I care more about that than I do God. And what, what the whole series is meant to do is to shift your priorities. That's, that's the whole point. Now, I'm going to read to you a quote by a guy called Tim Keller. And as I read this, I want you to look at the screen and think about this. Identify the, the, the areas that there may be issues for you. Here's what Tim Keller says. When anything in life is an absolute requirement for your happiness or your self-worth. So let's ask that. Is there anything on that screen that you depend on for your happiness? Is there anything on that screen that you depend on for your self-worth? What you, your value as a person? I'll finish the quote. When anything in life is an absolute requirement for your happiness or your self-worth, it is likely an idol. See, that's why this series is so significant in the life of not only our church, but us as Christians to identify that I can love Jesus and I can come and sing worship songs to God. But there are times when we live our lives in a way that we value and we care about and we pursue and we sacrifice for other things or other people more than we do do God. Now, here's where we've been. Here's how I'm going to wrap it up. It's basically been a series in the book of Exodus. I don't know if you've picked up on that. Uh, but Exodus chapter 20, we talked about the first two commandments. Last week, we talked about the plagues in Egypt because in Exodus 7 and, and through 12, that was God trying to convince us and his people, I'm bigger, I'm better, I'm the one worth following. All the other gods of this world, small g, have nothing on me. And so the study of the, the plagues in Egypt, he's going after every single of the major gods in Egypt and mocking them. Okay, so we went over that ever so briefly, and, and, and that's just God's trying to say, all, the, all these other gods are some of the bullet points we looked at. They don't have anything on me, right? Today, I'm going to conclude. Uh, I am fully aware and cognizant that I, we can talk about this, but in the end, you and I have a choice. We can make our own choice. But I, I, I would not be doing you any justice if I didn't help you understand what are the consequences. How does God respond to my idolatry when I choose that? We're going to look at Exodus chapter 32. I do not have the verses. So grab a Bible in the chair in front of you, pull out your phone. 
Uh, I want to encourage you to follow along. There are way, way too many verses. This is the story of the golden calf. You've heard this story before, but it outlines for us God's response to our idolatry. And here's what we say. When the people saw Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and they said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. Verse four, here it comes. He took what they handed him and made into a cast a, a, idol, made it all into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought us up out of Egypt. You know, I thought this whole thing started because Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and is hanging out there for a couple of weeks and the people get impatient. Just this morning when I was reading over the story, I thought to myself, I don't know why, you know, I'm going to be gone in Africa about just as long as Moses was gone in Mount Sinai. Please, when I come back, I don't want a calf in the entryway, okay? <laughs> keep an eye on Dave Sauer. I love him, but you know how youth pastors can be. Just keep an eye on him. You know, what catches my attention, though, is the context. What comes before Exodus 32? Let me remind you. They've seen God perform the ten plagues and free them from Egypt. They've received the ten commandments. God has opened up the Red Sea, and they've gone through on dry ground, uh, several million Jews. And when they cross the Red Sea, right at the end, they turn back, and they're like, oh, crap, the Egyptians are coming after us. The chariots are coming. They're going to take them back to Egypt. And just as they cross over, God brings the waters back down and saves them. The Egyptians are gone. So there's like a double miracle at, at the Red Sea. Then they go to Mount Sinai, right? Mount Sinai, and they literally see it shake. And get this, you know what the passage says? They literally heard the voice of God. And yet at their first instance, they make for themselves an idol. What's the lesson? The lesson is you can be walking with God. You can have a mountaintop experience with God. You can be close to Jesus, but you're always only one or two steps away from idolatry. Every single one of us. It's one of those things that happens imperceptibly by accident. It can be something good in your life. A lot of the bullet points are very good, but we start to value it too much. We start to love it too much. We start to sacrifice for it too much. And the minute we do that more than God, it's become an idol. So just keep that in mind. I don't think they went into it when Moses was going up thinking, oh, we can build ourselves a calf. They didn't go into it thinking that way. Verse 7. Verse, uh, oh, sorry, verse five. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. What is going on here? I thought they were building a calf. Now they're going to have a festival for God, the God of the Bible. See, there's a fancy word for what they're doing here. It's called pluralism. What is pluralism? Pluralism is when you take this and you put it in a bag and, and then you take something from out there in the world and you put it in a bag and you shake it up and that becomes your system. That becomes your faith. That becomes your personal doctrine. Pluralism. In this case, they are mixing uh, faith in God with idol worship. And it's a lot more common than you think. I don't know if you'll remember Tina Turner a couple years ago. She was asked about her faith. Uh, and Tina Turner said that she would describe herself as a Buddhist Baptist. That's what I am. I'm a Buddhist Baptist. What does she just do? It's called pluralism. I'm going to mix a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of God. I'm going to mix myself a little bit of Buddhism. I like that meditation. 
and that's who I am. Doesn't work. Just be honest. Ask yourself your doctrine, how you see life, how you understand people. How, how much is it based upon this? And how much is it based upon just whatever you got from out there? It's a lot more common than we think. So I don't, I, we don't want to throw them under the bus. We all struggle with this at times. Okay. Verse six. So the next day, the people rose early, sacrificed burnt offerings, presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down, they ate, they drank and got up to indulge in revelry. That's a, that's kind of an old English word. We don't typically use it much. Um, I looked it up in Hebrew. It means carnal, sinful. One of the English translations literally says they had a orgy party. In other words, this isn't just a Super Bowl party with chips and dip and hanging out with friends. They go crazy, right? This is girls gone wild times 10. Here's the lesson. Idolatry always eventually leads to immorality. Idolatry always eventually leads to immorality. Now, it doesn't have to be this kind of immorality, but at some point in time, we start doing certain things, saying certain certain things, having certain attitudes we never thought we would have because we start valuing something more than we value God. Verse 7, this past week I was sitting at the kitchen table. Verse 7 literally made me laugh out loud. Sandy was in the kitchen. She goes, what? well, what's so funny? I want to laugh. And all I said to her was, God, God just cracked me up. She looked at me like, you weird, right? And, and, and let me explain to you before I read it to you. Have you ever said to your spouse, right? Your kid does something really stupid. You call your spouse up and you say to your spouse, you're not going to believe what your son did at school today. Have you ever used that phrase? You're basically, it's not on me. Whatever they did is all because of you, your son, right? God does that with Moses. I think this is hilarious. Verse seven, then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought out of Egypt, they become corrupt, right? I guess it's more funny to me than it is to you. Let's keep reading. <laughs> um, principle number one, what's God's response to idolatry happens in verse 10. If you're writing it down, we'll put it on the screen. The first thing that happens is God's jealousy and anger come to the surface. Verse 10, now leave me alone, says God, so that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. Think about what he's saying. I'm so ticked off. I'm going to do a Noah. I'm going to wipe them all out, and I'm going to start all over again with you, Moses. Say what? He's ticked off. It goes on. Verse uh, 11 Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. Oh, Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Right. Verse verse uh, later on in the verse, he says, turn from your fierce anger. Relent. Do not bring disaster on your people. Three times the anger of God is mentioned. Let me just encourage you as your pastor. Don't ever believe that garbage that all sin is alike. Never says that in here. All sin is the same. No, it's not. Absolutely. Where did you come up with that? Yeah. When it comes to salvation, if you steal a piece of candy or you murder someone, either way, you need Jesus. But when it comes to life, don't don't you ever say that all sin is the same. No way, no how. Quite the opposite. There are some sins that are a lot worse than other sins. 
If I get angry at you, I can call you a name or I can slap you or I can punch you or I can stab you or I can shoot you. Are those all the same? Of course not. Don't play that game with yourself. And you know what theologians say about idolatry? While God doesn't rank the sins based upon what we can see, it is likely number one, two or three worst sins you and I can commit. That's why God's so ticked off. He is ticked off to no end. The story goes on. Verse 14, then the Lord relented and did not bring his people the disaster he had threatened. There's, when you read commentaries, people spend a lot of time here. They, they get caught up in the theology of God. And, oh my goodness, wait a minute. God wanted to do one thing, and then Moses convinced him to do another thing. God relented. He changed his mind. Is God allowed to do that? And they go on and on and on. As interesting as that discussion is, what impresses me about verse 14 is not the theology of God, but the theology of prayer. What this reminds us of, have you ever done this? You'll, you won't admit it. You won't admit it, but have you ever thought to yourself, why should I pray? God's going to do whatever he wants to do anyway. Sounds like someone thought about that right over this section over here. <laughs> have you ever done? We live that way, right? Pfft, why should I pray? God's going to do whatever he's going to do anyway. That's not what this story teaches. This story teaches God wants to do this. And Moses talks to God and he talks to God and he pleads with God and he talks to God. It's called prayer. And he talks to God some more and God changes his mind. I can't figure it all out, but what this story reminds us of is after church, we should be lined up at the prayer room because that works. That's all I'm going to figure out. That's what impresses me about verse 14. Verse 15, Moses turned, went down the mountain with the two tablets of testimony in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. What are the tablets of testimony? Exodus chapter 20, God gives the Ten Commandments. Commandment number one, then he explains it. Commandment number two, then he explains it. Commandment number three, then he explains it. This, the tablets of testimony, is, is the Reader's Digest Cliff Notes version of the Ten Commandments. You remember in Sunday school class, the poster of the Ten Commandments? That's this. It's just the bullet point. Don't do this. Make sure you do that. So on and so forth. Right now. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Right. Uh, the, 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 the movie. But um, Mel Brooks, the, the, the history of the world. You ever seen that? Moses is coming down from the mountain with the tablets of testimony. What does he do? Watch this clip. Very funny, but not really true. I just want to point out to you what actually happened. Verse 19. When Moses approached the camp and he saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned. You know, initially he's like, God, why are you getting all bent out of shape? He's at Mount Sinai. He doesn't know what's going down in the valley. When he sees it, his anger burned so much that he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them into pieces at the foot of the mountain. They didn't fall out of his hands. He broke them. In fact, later on, at one point, God talks to Moses to go, dude, what are you thinking? I never told you to do that. Chill. Verse 20. He took, you know what? Verse 20. This is <laughs> Verse 20 made me feel really good about myself. I was like, I'm not that bad of a leader compared to verse 20. Uh, Moses took the calf they had made and burned it in the fire. Then he took that, ground it into powder, scattered it in the water, and he made the Israelites drink it. <laughs> compared to Moses, I am a very kind, compassionate, and patient leader. I am. I've never done this to the ushers, right? <laughs> They come down at the wrong time. I don't grind up a chair, put it in the Kool-Aid, make them drink it, right? 
The office people mess up. I don't do this. The youth people mess up. I don't do this. The computer person, the slide goes ahead a little bit too fast. I don't get upset at them, right? The lighting person misses a cue and screws up on the light. Yeah, okay, yeah, I see. Very good. Oh, what goodness. The Holy Spirit's showing up here. What's going on here? Okay, yeah, we made you made your point. Okay. I thought it was kind of funny. Moses loses it. You, you, you want a mess? You want an idol? I'm going to grind it down, put it in the Kool-Aid, drink it. Wow. Verse 24. Moses saw that the people were running wild, that Aaron had let them get out of control, and they had become a laughingstock to the enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and he said, okay, the whole series comes down to this phrase. You ready? Whoever's for the Lord, come with me. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to put a line in the sand. Go ahead, just choose. On that side, you can choose God. On that side, you can choose whatever idol you want. You make your choice. But he calls you to make a choice. In this case, whoever's for the Lord, come with me. And all the Levites, one of the tribes of, uh, of the Israelites, all the Levites rallied to him. Point number two, God gets jealous and angry. Point number two is eventually uh, God's discipline is going to happen. Eventually it's going to, you know, I was having fun with this story when I was studying it until these verses. Not so fun anymore. Then Moses said to them, this is what the Lord, uh, the God of Israel says. So God's given this command, right? Check this out. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, killing his brother and his friend and his neighbor. So say what? The story tells us 3000 people were killed that day. Now, Now tell me idolatry doesn't matter. Every once in a while, someone at the church will, will give me a little gift or something. And you don't have to. And, you know, it's nice. But, um, you know, sometimes people give me a shirt or sometimes people give me something that I can put up in my office. And I, I'm not going to show you this in a minute. I'm going to tell you. Someone gave me this gift about a year ago. And I, I found it a little bit funny, but it's a little inappropriate. You know my, my humor. I can be somewhat inappropriate sometimes. And this is, a, I'm telling you in advance, it's a little inappropriate. Some of you, like super Christians, are going to roll your eyes at me. But it's something you put on your desk. It's at my desk in my office at home. I thought it was funny. This is what it is right here. Read the Bible. It will scare the hell out of you. (laughs) Made me laugh. You know that all good humor has a little bit of truth in it, don't you? That's what good comedians do. I laughed when they gave me this. And then the more I thought about it, I thought, you know what? Every once in a while, I'm scared when I read the Bible. Like this story right here. Take a step back. Doesn't doesn't this kind of scare you? We've been having fun with it the last two, three weeks. Here, 3,000 people die because of their idol. 3,000. I have a book in my library. I think we have a picture on the screen. It's by a philosopher called Paul Copen. Been reading this guy lately. This book is entitled, Is God a Moral Monster Making Sense of Old Testament, of the Old Testament God? Please don't be one of those Christians that skips the difficult passages and the difficult questions. I don't want us to be that kind of church, right? And this is a difficult story. God kills 3,000 of his own people because they have a little fun with a golden calf. What's going on here? Um, this guy, Paul Copen, and almost every commentator, when they talk, and this is heavy stuff, and, and it's deep stuff, but I've, I've really enjoyed reading it, and you could pick the book up if you want, but every single writer 
and theologian, when they start answering these questions about what the heck is going on in stories like this, you want to know what their conclusion is? Every single one at some point in time, here's where they land. The reason you and I struggle with it is because we don't fully understand the holiness of God. That's it. You see, holiness means God is completely separate. God is completely pure. God is completely perfect. That's what the holiness of God means. And in comparison, there's this awful, garbage, crap, gross thing that we call sin. And the reason we humans can't process it is because we don't think sin's that big of a deal. But when you really start to understand it, that's the issue. That's the issue. There's a lot more we could say. Here's the point for us. When you choose a God, small g, other than the God of the Bible, I have to tell you, at some point in time, discipline's coming. Initially, we do it, we follow it, because there's something we get out of it. But I, I got to tell you, because I care about you, at some point in time, something comes crashing down in your life. Because discipline is inevitable. The last thing, here's point number three. His forgiveness is available. Verse 30, the next day, Moses said to the people, you've committed a great sin. But now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. Here's where I want us to end. It's the same place we've ended every single week. I'm not trying to be creative at the end of our study. Every week, it's the same conclusion. It's three things. Try and identify what's your idol. What's your idol? Be honest. Number two, confess it. The the, the phrase in verse 24 is, you have committed a great sin. This isn't just some Mickey Mouse, let's have fun kind of an issue. It's a big issue. Confess it as such. And finally, redirect your commitment to Christ. It's called worship. See, in, in the end, what he wants is he wants you is he wants you to wear the God. I'm number one fan of God, not only in here, but when you walk out there. What's your golden calf? What, what's your foam finger? What's your idol? We're going to wrap up our service by participating in communion, Lord's Supper. The bread and the cup represents what Jesus did on the cross for you. And we have a a chunk of time. Here's what I want you to do. Um, As the ushers come, they're going to pass out the cup and the bread at the same time. Don't rush. I want you to do what's on the screen. I don't care if you sing for a while. Take a moment try and think through and identify is there something in my life that I care about more than God step two God I'm sorry step three I'm committed to you and only you as my top priority in life whenever you want you can start singing whenever you want you can start worshiping but don't waste these next five six minutes let's pray Heavenly Father I want to thank you for what you've taught me in this series Father, remind us of these truths. Help us be careful with the blessings you give us. Make sure we never allow them to become a golden calf, to become an idol, to become our favorite foam finger in our life. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.
It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, exists to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Thanks again for listening.